The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. All right, MMA on the Rocks, episode number 28, maybe. Let's hope so. I'm joined in person, finally, by Jeff the Animal Wilson for UFC Fight Night 102 from Sacramento, California. The main card is just getting started now. Jeff, how you doing? I'm feeling awesome, and uh, this is the first edition of uh, something that we came up with called The Brawl Crawl. Yeah, so much like a fight companion, I guess you would say, but we do it intoxicated, and we watch the fights, and we give you our thoughts on them. So we're getting ready for Ellen Joban versus Mike Perry, Diamond Mike Perry. Is Diamond his nickname? I thought it was God's Gift or something. No, God's Gift is tattooed across his stomach. Oh. So Perry, he is, he's got like... Um, a very awkward style where he he has like super straight posture. Oh, oh. Shit, Joe Ban just rocked him with a one-two and then a head kick. I think Mike Perry knows Ooh. where he is right now. Yeah, Mike Perry looks like he might be in a little bit of trouble here. This is like more aggression than we normally see out of Alan Joe Ban, right? Yeah, usually he's about as aggressive as a rock. <laughs> so yeah, he's usually like more patient, but he's like coming after Perry. And Perry is no... I think he's knocked out, like, all nine of his opponents in his professional career. Yeah, he's been pretty impressive so far. I think I've only seen him in, like, two UFC fights, but he, uh, he's he been good. Well, his first fight was against that uh, Korean guy, the super tall one. Oh, yeah, the dude was, like, a thousand feet tall. Yeah, and he towered over him, and it looked like, uh, it looked like the Mike Tyson punch-out video game. From back yep. in the day, that's what I—that's what I'll always remember Mike Perry for. That and his God's gift tattoo. But that was on UFC 202, uh, McGregor Diaz 2. You're sure that wasn't uh, yeah. UFC 200? No. Okay. It was 202. We were watching it at uh, oh, Bar right. One back in Jersey. Right, right. So Jeff's down here with me visiting in Florida. We just came from Barley Mo Brewery. So anybody who listens to the show is familiar with barley mo uh what was your impression of the atmosphere and the beer there jeff dude i loved it the atmosphere was really relaxed really laid back we were playing cornhole for a little bit outside uh they got a nice little patio and the beers were awesome yeah (laughs) um dude real quick though mike perry and uh, Alan Juban, I don't know if I'm saying his name right, but dude, they look like they're a weight class apart. And Mike Perry just, oh man, he just rocked. Are you Joe saying because Joban looks bigger? Yeah. Yeah, Mike Perry is small for 170. I feel like um, he must not cut a lot of weight. I feel like, but he's got so much power for this division. Definitely, he's got that right hand that seems like he could just put anybody down. And it looks like he's got some pretty good takedown defense here. Joe Bannon had a full body lock, and oh, now there he, he, goes. Was, he was able to put him down. But 
he struggled for a while with a full body lock. He was kind of dragging him around the cage. He wasn't able to finish the takedown, and he finally got it. We haven't seen much of Mike Perry's ground game. Yeah, but Perry's doing the right thing here. He's making Joban look down, and it was working for a little bit, but now he's caught in a guillotine. Yeah. And uh, Perry was able to scramble back up to his feet. Yeah, but uh, I feel like that making your opponent look down, pushing down on the head, it does help a lot. And we've seen it before. Uh, John Dodson does that a lot, too. Yeah. So it seems like Mike Perry has zero interest in going to the ground. So we haven't seen much of his ground game, per se. But... Um, you know, it looks like he's got some decent takedown defense, and he's able. Oh, and Joban just rocked him with a straight left yeah, and a nice couple body of body kick kicks. Follow, yeah. Yeah, Perry. He keeps, um, he keeps going to that body. I think that's like. Oh, and Perry lands a big head kick. Yeah, it looks like it just grazed him though. But Joban, going back to what you said, Joban's been doing a good job of landing a left body kick and. Um, on the right side of your body is the liver. So if he lands it right, man, he could knock Perry out just from a liver shot. Yeah, um, that's the old boss rooting. The yep. kick to the liver. The liver. <laughs> kick in the liver. You know, somebody took that famous uh, boss rooting street fighting video and they remixed it and made like a beat out of it. Joe Batten with another big body kick. Yeah. Um. Oh, no. Oh! Oh, man. Joe Bob went for a spinning oh. back fist and it backfired. He got. Yeah, I don't know. I can't really tell what happened there. He he ran away, wobbled. Yeah, it looks and Perry like, chased after him, but. Yeah, it looked like Perry, like, socked him in the ears. Joe Bob looks like he's out on his feet here. Yeah, Joe Bob is not. And he just not. caught another big right hand. Perry's got so much power for this division, even though he seems like he should be too small for it. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I used to work with these Polish dudes, and, like, they were super thin, but they were unbelievably strong back really? when I was a busboy. So, like, there's that, like, deceptive strength. Well, you know the Polish are are coming in big in MMA. Yeah. You know, like, Joanna Janjajic, Karolina Kowalkiewicz, yeah. um, that guy who just came over from Bellator, uh, Mar Marcin Held. Mm. Um, and I was always a fan of Krzysztof Sashinsky. Uh, do you remember him? Oh, yeah. He was on The Ultimate Fighter, right? Yeah. Um, Season, I don't know. But, eight? Um, Let's call it eight. Yeah. But, <laughs> dude, all right. So we're in between rounds right now. And, Bill, I love the view, man. Like, you got a nice back porch back here. And uh, I woke up early this morning just to stare at the sun and the water and the sand. It's really nice, man. I'm living the dream out here in Florida. I'm down the street from... Barley Mo, the greatest brewery ever, which um, if we post this tomorrow, we we might be doing another podcast tomorrow on location at Barley Mo Brewery with a couple of the bartenders there. So that's that's pretty exciting. Yeah, dude, I cannot wait to be a part of that. And um, we got some we got some Barley Mo in the fridge. We got to we got to start cracking those open once we get a a little deeper into this card, maybe after we eat a little. Yeah, got some Mexican food on deck. Yeah, so local res Mexican restaurant. What's the name of this Mexican restaurant? Santa Fe Restaurant. Santa Fe Restaurant in, in Largo. And you know what's interesting? They don't sell tacos. They don't sell tacos? They're tacos, but it's authentic Mexican food. What kind of... 
How can it be authentic Mexican food without well, tacos? Well, they just don't have tacos, but they have everything else that you want. Oh. You're, you're currently hearing our uh, art director, Claudia, in the creative, background. Creative director. Creative director, art director. Yeah, Claudia's a huge director artist. of most things. And we're back into the second round of this fight, and Joe Ben's going right back to that body kick, which he seems to be landing at will, and Perry's not really doing anything to stop it. Yeah, it's been working, but it looks like Joe Ben's got a little bit of a reach advantage, which I don't know if he's taking advantage of in the right way. So it's not much of an advantage. It's just, it's just reach that's just kind of there. Right. <laughs> uh, it looks like... Joe Ban is still a little bit wobbled yeah. from that shot that he caught in the first round. And Perry's just kind of stalking him. And he's he's always looking to land that right hand, which, you know... Oh, nice leg kick. Oh, and he, he got, caught Joe Ban on the chin again, and he kind of wobbled him. Uh, I mean, call it a one-trick pony, but like when that trick works consistently, fuck it. Yeah, it looks like Joe Ban landed more strikes in the first round, though. Um, he well, might have landed more, and he's he landed a big combination on Perry. He caught him with a a jab and then a head kick. And now Jovan's going for a takedown. Jovan's going for another takedown. But it looks like uh, Perry really has some solid takedown defense. And even when Jovan got him down in the first round, he was able to scramble back up real quick. Yeah. Um, yeah, Perry's doing a good job of not going down easy. And when he did go down, like you said, he came up quick, man. It's yeah. He doesn't go down easy like a bad date. Yep. Well, I mean, that could easily turn into a good date if they're willing to go down easy. Oh, I'm saying it's a bad date because he doesn't go down easy. Oh. That was the that was the joke there. Oh. Dude, I'm drunk. I, well, it, it took a. I couldn't process that. First brawl crawl may or may not get posted. Maybe we should, we should have like a separate channel where we post stuff like this. Like if you're a hardcore fan. Then you go and listen to these. Yeah. Where it's like over-the-top <coughs> debauchery. You know, I always pronounce that word debauchery. You learn something new every day. Ooh, yeah. Perry I misses a head kick. I think kick. it's like a potato-potato kind of thing. No, debauchery sounds better, though. I think debauchery sounds a little more official. Yeah. But I don't know. So Perry's still stalking Joe Ban down, and he still looks like he's a little wobbled. Like yeah. he's never really got his legs back under him, but he's he's still he's throwing crisp combinations. I mean, he's trying, and his footwork still looks good, but he just it just looks like his head is wobbling on top of his shoulders. Yeah, I don't think he's all there yet, man. And then Perry, Perry looks pretty fresh still. Yeah, I think Perry is just trying to pick his shots, you know. He's kind of got that Dan Henderson style where he just walks forward with that right hand cocked and he's just like ready to throw it. Yeah, I mean, Dan Henderson is one of the greatest of all time. So if that's any, you know, sign of what's to come, we could, we could see a lot out of Perry. I've, I've been enjoying his fight so far. Do we know much about Mike Perry? Does he have a wrestling background? I mean... Because he looks like he's got kind of a wrestler build and he's got... Really great takedown defense. Yeah, and he's got a like super wide base. Yeah, for, for his striking. For sure. So it's definitely not. He doesn't. He definitely doesn't have like the posture of a boxer or a Muay Thai <coughs> fighter. It just seems like a. Oh, Joe Bond went for a head kick. Oh, oh Joe Bond with a straight, straight left, left rocked him. 
Oh man, Jovan. Now Perry looks like he's out on his feet. Perry's backpedaling and Jovan chasing him with some head kicks, but it looks like it looks like Perry recovered. Nah, I think he's doing a good job playing it off. I don't think he's all there yet though. I think his brain's still a little rattled. We got a pretty back-and-forth fight here. Uh, this third round could be sweet. Yeah, I mean, the third round's going to make a difference because I, I would have given that first round to Perry because Definitely. he had that big knockdown and yeah. Joban was rocked. Even though Joban had the takedown, I feel like takedowns don't weigh as much as they used to, especially if you don't do anything with it and the guy bounces right. back up like Perry did. That's fair. Um, but Joban, I think, stole that second round with that big knockdown at the end because... He was. It looked like he was very close to finishing Perry, but Perry was able to scramble backwards and get back to his feet. And uh, it looked like he recovered quicker than Joban did. Yeah, definitely. Um, how are you scoring this so far? I got it one round apiece. Okay. Yeah, I got the first round for Perry, and I got the second round for Joban. Okay. What do you think? <laughs> I would give the second round to Perry just because it looked like he was working a little bit more. Um, okay. And, you know, you got to factor in octagon control, which I feel like Perry had more of because Joban was backing up the whole time. Okay. But going back to what you said, the end of the round leaves me in a little bit of doubt because that straight left just dropped him. It was beautiful. He landed it, like, right on the bridge of the nose, and Perry just went down. But uh, you guys have to excuse Jeff's coughing. He's like... Coming in a little sick, he's trying to recover down here in Florida the, yeah. in the beautiful weather. Yeah, the hard liquor has helped, though, because it's loosened up some of the phlegm in my lungs. I mean, there's few things that hard liquor doesn't help with. I know. It's, it's uh, if you cut your skin or something, you can use it to scab that up. It's yeah. very versatile. I find, like, sore throats and coughs like a little scotch. Like a little scotch neat right before bed. Works way better than any over-the-counter medication you can buy. So, uh, you know, if you're of legal drinking age, then and you have a cough or a sore throat, like get yourself a little bottle of scotch. I find uh, Johnny Walker Red Label mm. will do the trick. Just keep on walking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of my good friends, Liz, she, um, her father is a doctor, okay. and he recommends. A good shot of whiskey. Yeah, I mean, even like uh, with, this might just be an Irish thing, but like babies when they're teething, they'll put a little whiskey on the gums. I heard that, To numb yeah. it. And then they'll put a little more if the kid won't go to sleep on time. And then, you know, if he keeps crying, you know, just put in a little more until it works. Yeah. And then they become a grown man and they always cry when they don't have whiskey like me. <laughs> Yeah, dude, as a Salvadorian, I love whiskey, man. I feel like I must have some Irish roots, man. It's a beautiful drink. I mean, I think you're honorary Irish because you're you're staying with me for a week. That's fair. So, we'll give you your we'll give you your green card. All right. <laughs> I get an I get an Irish uh Irish honorary membership for a week. Yeah. Dig it. It's just basically like a shamrock sticker on a shot glass. <laughs> Dude, this third round has not been as aggressive. Yeah, as not a lot two. happening. Yeah, we're, we're about halfway through the round, and uh, nothing serious, nothing fight-ending happening so far. Yeah. I mean, both of these guys really proving that they have great chins and good recovery time. 
Yeah, they both look a lot better from the last round. Yeah, because they've both been able to bounce back. Ooh. Oh, and Jobon just like threw a spinning kick over Perry's head. He like ducked under it just in time. Yeah, I guess it's a good thing he's small for this division. Yeah. I can see him. I look almost looked like a low blow from Jobon. Yeah, I can see Perry definitely fighting at one fifty five though. Like he has the frame. Yeah, he can make it, but he looks like he's really muscular, so maybe he struggles with that, too. Yeah, it could be. I get the feeling he must not cut a lot of weight, and I just realized that Perry's left leg is really Ooh, nice purple from the leg kicks of Joban. I feel like Joban's really outlanded him overall in the fight, but when Perry lands... He lands uh, big, yeah. Yeah, he lands with a lot of power, and he's not checking those leg kicks at all. He just tried to grab one there, but... Uh, and for those of you who don't know, checking a leg kick is when you lift your front leg. It basically eases the impact on the leg. If you keep your foot planted and keep weight on it, it makes the kick worse. And it'll take its toll a little bit more as the fight goes on. Yeah, that's pretty effective. Especially, I'm sure all of you have seen the video of uh, the Brazilian fighter Anderson Silva getting his leg broken because he threw a kick and it got blocked or checked yeah. as... Uh, the proper term is, and it just snapped in half, man. That was gross. Yeah, and that also happened, I don't know if you remember, Corey Hill from Season 5, The Ultimate Fighter? I may have seen that. That that was uh, the season that Nate Diaz won, and Corey Hill did the same thing, where he threw a leg kick, and his leg just snapped in half, and it just looked, his leg just looked like rubber. Like, it just... Yeah, yeah. It just, like... It doesn't look, it doesn't look natural. Like it looks like you know the bone should be sticking out or something or like pierce the skin. Yeah. Joe Van going for a single leg here. He had the leg wrapped up and he wasn't able to finish it. Yeah. I'm guessing Perry does have some kind of wrestling background because he has very solid takedown defense. Yeah, and even his escape, he took his leg, which was in between both of Joban's legs, and he circled it to the outside to get out. That's a really, uh, you'd have to be a pretty good grappler to know to do that. Yeah, or at least have some kind of experience. And the crowd is booing now, but I mean, this is a pretty exciting fight. These oh, guys... nice wheel kick from Joban. Yeah, Joban going for a cartwheel kick right at the buzzer. I think that locked it up for him. Yeah, he may have won that fight just for style points in yeah. that last round. Credit for the the Versace model for uh <laughs> Yeah, no homo, but you know, he, he I can see why he's a model. Oh yeah. The dude's Ooh. a fucking ten. I mean he's no God's gift, but he's a, he's a <laughs> Maybe if we put some tattoos on him. Ooh, nice head kick yeah. in the highlights for uh Jovan. Yeah, so Mike Perry had caught <laughs> caught a kick that landed in his head and while Perry is holding Joban's leg on his shoulder Joban is still throwing punches um, I think the sheer volume of strikes landed would uh, would give this one to Joban yeah I got it uh, probably two rounds to one for Joban yeah I would give it 29-28 to Joban but I mean you never know with these MMA judges <laughs> yeah. what they're going to come up with but I thought that was a really good fight. Yeah, it was like, a good way to open the card. I thought this was going to be the sleeper fight on the card for sure. And um, I I mean, I haven't seen it. We haven't seen any other fights on the card yet. But Can I make an announcement? Go What's for the it. announcement? That the food from Santa Fe Mexican restaurant is legit. 
It's, it's legit. Good. Even it's though, really good. You guys are in for a treat. Even though they don't have tacos? They, you know what? You, you'll be fine. You gotta sacrifice? You won't even be thinking tacos by the end of your meal. Yeah, I'm just happy I got good. a chimichanga. It's good. <laughs> Chimichanga's just fun to say. We gotta supplement the tacos with chimichangas. Claudia, what did you have? I got shrimp fajitas and um, this chicken fajita tortilla thing. It was really good. Chicken fajita tortilla Chicken was really tender. Ooh. Okay. And they got everything right. They didn't miss anything. Everything on point. Well, it was quick, fast. And it was you know, affordable. I spent $40 for four Mexican meals. I mean, that's when you think about it. It was like $10 a meal. Plus, we got chips guacamole. Pretty good. All right, Santa Fe, getting the plug Definitely. on the MMA on the Rocks podcast that may or may not. Nah, we should still post this. We're doing a good job. All right, we'll post it. We'll probably, well, you know, this is still early. We got to get through the rest of the card, and we got some six packs of barley mo quackalope in the fridge. Yeah, hopefully, we'll still be audible by the end of this. <laughs> it might be like. Episode one, where we have to cut out like the last hour because it's just incomprehensible. So we're getting a decision here now. Here we go. Team Joban. Okay, so you gave the first round to Joban. Yeah. First and third round. Oh, man. See, so Joe Bam won the decision. Two judges had it 30-27, and one judge had it. Nick Diaz. Love Nick Diaz. Nick Diaz in the crowd. I like him. Well, this is Sacramento, so this is... Uh, we partied with Nick Diaz in Orlando. We did party with Nick Diaz in Orlando. But he was on his phone the whole time. I think he has, like, anxiety. He doesn't like to be around a lot of people. Yeah, he's probably not good in, like, big groups. I'm like that, too, Claudia. Yeah. Yeah, well... I'm still awesome, though. I'm, pr- I'm sure Diaz is pretty awesome. It seemed like he had a really nice girlfriend. He's, he's, he's really good at one-on-one combat, and that's all that really matters. Yes. But, all yeah. right. Wait, correction. I gave the second round to Joe Bond. First round, I thought, was Perry. Yeah, see, that's why I'm confused. I don't... And two judges gave it 30-27 to Joe Bond. I thought Mike Perry very clearly won the first round. Um, I did give the second to... To Joe Bad, so I understand the decision, but I only agree with that first judge. Oh my god. It's Paige. She's cute. Yeah. I don't know. Interviewing her? Tired seeing if her her around. She's everywhere. She's dancing with the stars. She won this lawsuit where she won like millions of dollars. <coughs> yeah. She's getting married. Like, I don't. She's becoming a Kardashian of sports. We don't care about Erin Andrews. I don't even know who the fuck she is. Yeah. I don't really care to know who she is either. Erin Andrews, if you're listening, we don't care about you. Yeah. It's We're not bullying no, her. No, I'm not. I'm not, not insulting her. I'm not bullying her. I just don't care who she is. I guess I made her relevant if she wasn't. Yeah, she's not relevant because she has nothing to do with. I was hating on her because she was on TV. Well, I'm not gonna hate on her. Like she's just irrelevant to my life and everything in it. Except she was just interviewing Paige Van Zandt for some reason. So right. apparently, 
Paige took second place on Dancing with the Stars. I'm gonna have yeah. to, I'm gonna have to check out that season. There's wow. really no that reason. That was Ginger Z from uh, Good Morning America. She won. Oh, I love Ginger Z. My girl. Is. Did she win is. the season? No, it was the guy. The guy, the deaf guy, won. Oh really? Yeah. Well, I think like. The deaf guy, Ginger Z, and Paige Van Zandt. I feel like that he won on sympathy. Oh no! I mean, he was good though. It was very charming. Yeah, but I feel yeah. like even if he wasn't that good, like they would like, they couldn't. It's possible. They couldn't count him out. All right, let's take a break and eat. Sounds I'm good. Pause the broadcast here, and we'll get back to the fights. All right, so we're kind of back into it. We had to eat real quick in between <coughs> fights here, and we're at um, Uriah Fiber's. Uriah. Faber. No, you got it right. Uriah Fiber. Yeah, Uriah Fiber. Uriah Faber's last fight in his hometown, Sacramento, California, against British fighter Brad yeah. Pickett. Um, it's kind of weird because you don't usually see guys announce their retirement before their last fight. This is some. He's kind of trying to. He's he's trying to go like the Derek Jeter route and have a little farewell tour here. Yeah, it's it's like very unusual that he would, because you basically say like you're done after this. So how do you convince people that you were fully motivated to train for this fight when you know the only end goal is like having a win for your last fight? I don't know. It seems odd to me. What do you think? Yeah, that's weird. Um, like I've never heard of a retirement fight in UFC. Um, but I hope Brad Pickett knocks him out. Yeah. I mean, you've had, we've had fights where you had a feeling guys were going to retire after, but never, like, did you know leading up to, I can't think of one time where you knew leading up, maybe Dan Henderson against Michael Bisbing the last time. Yeah, you kind of figured, though. Um, But that was like, his motivation there was to win a UFC title before he retired. And, you know, other than that, I can't remember a time when a guy said, like, this next fight is going to be my last fight. Yeah, that's so pretentious. What a douche. (laughs) You think it's douchey? Yeah, I think so. Huh. Like, you know, you could have said, hey, guys, like, after, you know, post-fight interview, be like, guys, you know, been doing this for a long time. Thank you to all the fans, but I think it's time to hang up the gloves. Yeah. But do you think people would have questioned, like, you just fought for the title, why are you now fighting Brad Pickett? Yeah, because I don't know, man. it's not like he's a contender, and Uriah Faber's last fight... Was a loss. Uh, to Dominic Cruz, In a title fight. So he fought for the title, and then he's fighting a guy in Brad Pickett who, you know, is... A journeyman, basically. Yeah, but, dude, your eye favors had, like, 12 title shots. I think it's time to hang it up. Right, but my, my point is, how do you justify going from fighting for the title to fighting a guy who has lost four out of his last five fights? Easy. You justify by saying, this is my retirement fight, and I want to end it with a win. Right, but you're saying he shouldn't have done that. No, I'm saying it's the pussy way out, but he did it. So, like, without announcing his retirement, how would he justify fighting a guy who's lost four out of his last five? 
Oh, if that's the question, then no, that's, there's no justification for it. Exactly. Um, Uriah Faber's like, what, number three, number two in the world? Yeah, I think he's still up there for sure. Ooh, nice. Brad, Uriah Faber took Pickett down and then Pickett... Oh! And Faber just dropped Pickett with a huge left hook. Nice. I think it's too soon to retire, dude. Yes. And he's dropping oh, some bombs. Now, now he's on his for back. The, for the rear naked. He's got his hooks in. Doesn't look like he has it under the chin yet. No. Pickett. And Pickett's kind of scrambling still. Yeah, he's doing a good job. I think he waited too long after he landed that hook. He probably should have jumped on him a little quicker. But he, I think he was waiting for the rep to stop it. Yeah, I mean, he did drop a couple of heavy hands after, though. But, but he waited. He, there was a long pause. And now he's just on Pickett's back, and he's just dropping right hands on his face. Yeah, I think it's going to get called soon. Pickett's not defending. Oh, he's all. knocking his head off. Oh, He's going for the choke again. Yeah, he still Pickett's has still in. scrambling. That's a tough dude, and he has no regard oh. for the condition of his face. Like, that dude will take punches in the face all day. Well, his nose is closer to his ear than it's ever been. Uh, his nose is made out of silly putty. It's just completely smashed in at all times. Oh, man. And now Faber's in mount. Pickett hanging on, though, after he's taking a beating here. Yeah, this I might mean, be... If he gets out of this round, you definitely have to give a 10-8 to Faber. Yeah. Faber's back on the back now. Yeah, now he's got a body triangle locked in. At the body triangle, but Pickett's still not giving up that chin. He's bleeding pretty profusely, too. Hopefully, I mean, Faber might... This is the way you burn yourself out when you're, like, really... I, I feel like he definitely should have jumped on him quicker after he landed that big hook that dropped him. Yeah, I think he should... Um, Faber doing a good job of pinning down... Pickett's left arm. Yeah. Uh, now the round's over. <coughs> and Pickett walked away. Walked is a very interesting word you're using there. I mean, he was walking. I mean, it looked like he was stumbling. His legs were, were under him considering. I don't know, dude. I feel like I don't think he's going to be able to get far into the next round. <coughs> well, Pickett's one of those dudes that's just super tough. I mean, I kind of... For his sake, I hope this is his last fight. And, I mean, if he loses this, he would have lost five out of his last six. Yeah. Which is... I I mean, I hate to even say it, but they're kind of hand-feeding Faber here for his last fight. Definitely. There's, there's no other way... There's no other way to look at it. Because the guy just fought for a title, and you put him in there... You know it's his last fight, and you put him in there against a guy who you know is going to stand in front of him. And who lost four out of his last five fights. Yeah, and that's what Faber wants. You know, Faber's a high-level wrestler. Uh, his striking is pretty solid. Yeah, it, it was very solid with that huge hook. He landed right on Pickett's jaw. And Pickett didn't even know where he was. He's swinging as he's falling down from that. Yeah, and McCarthy's slapping his hands for round two. Yeah. Pickett looks like he's recovered, though. Yeah, like I said, I thought he, I thought he walked away like with his legs under him after that thrashing he took in the first round. Mm -hmm. You definitely have to give Faber a 10-8 there. Yeah. So here's the question: How tired is Faber after that? Because oh. dropping those hammers it wears you out, man. 
Yeah. Just ask Shane Carwin after he fought Brock Lesnar. Yeah, I mean, it that is an easy way to burn yourself out, but I mean, at the same time, he was he was hurting Pickett bad. I mean, Faber looks like he still has as much spring in his step as he did in the last round. He's not known for gassing out by any means. I mean, he's got he's got a fucking gas tank and a half. Yeah, he's done a tremendous amount for the sport. And that little five foot six engine. Faber's one of the first guys that <coughs> that that gave me hope as a shorter guy. Like I was I was always a big Jens Pulver fan. Because mm. he's like the little guy that was knocking people out and then uh, Faber came along and he really kind of was the face of the smaller fighters Definitely. for the longest time when he was a champ in WEC. That was the that was the guy. He was the face of of us, you know, under five foot eight guys. Yeah, and uh, you know he single handedly started Team Alpha Male. Uh, one of you know a pretty good camp. Uh, one of the top, yeah, definitely. And you know they're all smaller guys. I think all of them. The heaviest guy is probably one fifty five in that camp. Yeah, yeah, they are smaller guys. The team Alpha Male. What's interesting is that Faber's on this card, and it's being headlined by another team Alpha Male fighter, Paige Van Zandt. Yeah. So he's able to have his last fight in his hometown with one of his fighters, who he manages, I believe, headlining uh, the main event. Yeah, and uh, Faber's landed a really nice single leg takedown with a sweep at the end, and he's on top of Pickett right now. And Pickett is not doing much. I think he's trying to pull guard, but Faber's got that low base where he's kind of standing, but not really. Yeah. So it's hard to lock him up. <laughs> it's like Pickett doesn't really know what to do with his legs. It's like, and he's scrambling now, and he dove for Faber's legs, but uh, Faber just Looks put like him in a front headlock, and he's just putting that shoulder pressure down. Yeah. Faber looks like... Um, Especially spray tanned for this one. <laughs> like normally, he's always tanned, but like, it just it just looks it just looks like an artificial tan here. Nah, I think that's the screen. Really? Yeah, I think it's a weirdish. You think? I think the screen's got a weird hue. I don't know. It looks pretty spray tanny to me. I mean, the guy's like always outdoors, like surfing and stuff. He's probably got like a year-round tan. Yeah. But it's like a golden brown. It's a nice color. Yeah. I mean, I definitely can't pull it off, so I guess I shouldn't criticize it. Even if, even if I got a spray tan, I would still look like Brad Pickett's complexion. Yeah. Pickett's still in there. I mean, his face is a fucking mess. And he just got basically pushed down to the ground yeah. by Faber with nothing. Faber's oh! Got guillotine and he on top I think and he's just kind of gator rolling with Pickett's neck and then they just both stood up yeah I think Pickett did a good job of rolling trying to get to a better base with that yeah I favor once favor snapped down on the neck he got a little sloppy with the well that could also be due to the <laughs> fact that the both of them are very sweaty right now yeah it could be too but he tried to like snap down on him too quick and he just didn't, he didn't control Pickett's body with yeah. the guillotine. 
Piggy just landed a big jab on Faber, kind of knocked him back a little bit. And these guys, this is this is actually like pretty good fight. Like, Piggy has not really been in it. He hasn't really done anything, but he's not. And Faber took him down like right at the 10 second mark, the end of round two. But he's not really. He hasn't really done anything. Yeah, like nothing major happened in that round. No. So, I think. Uh, good performance for Faber for his last fight in his hometown. This is like a huge moment for one of the. One of the first like really big stars of the sport and definitely one of the biggest stars outside of the UFC for sure because he was like on the cover of magazines and everything when he was in the WEC and he was the champ over there so I you can't even calculate how much Uriah Faber has done for the sport and especially from like a business perspective like he's managing He's managing Cody Garbrandt, who's going to be fighting Dominic Cruz for the bantamweight title. He manages all these Team Alpha Male guys who are all these gritty, tough, smaller fighters out in California. I'm sure he's going to continue doing that. And he's got like a clothing brand. This guy's like an entrepreneur. And he's a fucking badass. And right he's now, a construction company too. Does he really? Yeah. It's called Favor Construction out in California. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, he's he's been sharp about how uh, he invests his money and stuff. Yeah, he's a very smart businessman. And Pickett's face just looks mangled right now. Yeah. Like, his nose is always kind of smashed in, but right now his cheek is, like, up around his forehead, and, like, just pieces of his face Ooh. are not where they should be. Yeah, and Faber coming out really aggressive, man. Yeah, landing another big takedown on Pickett up against the fence, and it seems like... Pickett doesn't really have much of an answer for the wrestling of Faber, which we haven't seen in a while. And Pickett kind of going for a guillotine, Faber doesn't really look worried about it. I mean... That would kind of suck for him if he if he taps out. Oh, now he's closing up his guard. But yeah, but he, doesn't have the, he doesn't have the arm around the neck. That would really suck for him to tap out in his final fight in his hometown. Yeah, it'd be great. <laughs> Is that what you're hoping for, Jeff? Yeah, I as a loyal fan of Dominic Cruz, I cannot like any member of Team Alpha fail. Yeah, so you're a big fan of Dominic Snooze, huh? That's it. <laughs> the decisionator. Yeah. I mean, I uh, I want to like him so bad, but <coughs> it's like he doesn't he doesn't have the most exciting fights. Neither did George St. Pierre. That's end. true, but George St. Pierre, <coughs> like, the competition he was going up against was significantly more talented. So and you don't like, think Uriah Faber's talented? I think Uriah Faber's talented, but... Do you think Cody Garbron is talented? I do, but if you look at the, at the rest of the division in the lower weight classes, it's not like... I mean, look at the guy's GSP beat. He was beating... BJ Penn, Matt Hughes, like he was, granted they weren't the most exciting fights, but I mean those were Hall of Famers, 
Like, how many Hall of Famers has Dominic Cruz beaten besides Uriah Faber uh, and Mighty Mouse Johnson? I mean, I would make an argument for T.J. Dillashaw. Possible. I would have liked Dominic Cruz to fight Henan Barrow, but now Henan Barrow, you know, he I think he's in the tail end of his career. Well, he's also moved up in weight. I mean... Henan Barrow's fighting at 145 now, and he lost his first fight there. Well, after what T.J. Dillashaw did to him, I would have gained weight, too. Screw that. Yeah. And it, uh, Brad Pickett has, like, his cheekbones on his forehead, and then he's got, like, on the left side of his forehead, he's got, like, a bloody hematoma. He's getting, like, a real schoolyard beatdown from Uriah Faber here. Yeah. On the other side of his forehead are Uriah Faber's elbows that are landing... Do you think anybody will care if, if Brad Pickett announces his retirement after this, too? Nah. I don't think they will, either. Yeah, I mean, I, I like Brad Pickett as a fighter, but... You know what? I like his his attitude, and he's so game. Oh, and he just he just sent Uriah Faber flying with a left hand, and then they high-five afterwards. Yeah, I think Faber, Faber knows what's up. He, he knew that one dropped him for real. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> it would be it would be kind of something if after completely dominating three and three quarters rounds, if Faber got knocked <clears throat> out or submitted in the last minute. Well, there's a reason Brad Pickett's nickname is One Punch. Yeah, dude's got some power for yeah. sure. We just haven't seen it in a few years. Yeah, I can't remember. I can't remember the last time the guy impressively won a fight. Francisco Rivera was his last win. That was a decision. That was back at Fight Night 84. He hasn't finished a fight <laughs> since 2012. <laughs> Damn, we might we might have to change his nickname then. Yeah. Oh, he went for a flying knee, but he missed completely. And Faber kind of went for a suplex at the end, but he kind of turned it into just pulling Faber to the ground. And, uh... Pick it on top now, but I think you have a very clear victory for your ride Faber at the end of the third round bell here. I would give it to him 30-26 with a you know, assuming he got a 10-8 in that first round. But oh yeah. Uh these judges, like you never know with them. So it would be interesting to see how they score this. Because I would definitely I would definitely have it 30-26 for Faber. What do you I think? I agree. I agree. Um, yeah, that first round, uh, it probably could have been finished a few times. So yeah. You definitely got to give that at least 10-8. Yeah. Maybe even 10-7. I, I mean, it, you very, very, very rarely see a 10-7 in MMA. And it, I I could see the argument for it. I mean, he he got his face bashed in in that first round. Yeah. So this is the last time we watched the California Kid. California Kid, I guess. And it'll probably be the last time we see Brad Pickett fight in the UFC, too. Yeah. I, I don't imagine they're going to keep him around. Yeah. I mean, he was the one, really, who had everything to gain from this. To, like, come in and ruin Uriah Faber's going-away fight. That would have been, like, you know... That was the ultimate opportunity for him. 
and Faber really had everything to lose. He's in his hometown. He's got one of his fighters headlining the card. It's his big retirement fight. He's trying to go out like Derek Jeter on the farewell tour. And, you know, I was actually at Derek Jeter's last game at Yankee Stadium. What are you doing at a baseball game? It's so boring. <laughs> it was, you know, Derek Jeter, he grew up down the street from me. So you lived in El Barrio? No, no, no. He didn't grow up. I, I said that wrong. He didn't grow up down the street from me. He lived down the street from me when he was just coming up with the Yankees. Hmm. So I guess he kind of did grow up because he was... What well, Didn't he get drafted when he was like 19 years old or something? I, I don't really know. But um, we, had an, we had an outing with the fire department I was in and... Uh, yeah, we went to we went to Derek Jeter's last game at Yankee Stadium where he hit like it was one of the only times where baseball was exciting. Like he he hit the game winning hit. It was like a base hit. It was a walk off single and he scored the winning run and then retired, like rode off into the sunset. Like he couldn't have scripted it any better. But Dude, did you see the towel that Faber was using to dry himself with? It looked like it had a little spray sand on it. Like an orange streak. Oh, wow. All three judges got it right. They all gave 30-26 to Faber, which is really exciting. And uh, I think we'll take another little break here, and we'll listen to Faber's post-fight speech and maybe come back with a couple of beers. What do you think? Sounds like a plan. All right. Let's pause it here. All right, so now we're back. We got a couple of Quackalope IPAs from Barley Mo, and while we were taking a break, we watched Dominic Cruz <coughs> have a little, I guess, trash talk with Cody Garbrandt, which seemed like it lasted forever. And uh, you want to reiterate the one-liner from Cruz that that you enjoyed so much? He was like, "I bought a house just on the winds." on my wins on members of Team Alpha Male. Yeah, that was a pretty funny line. It was. It The the trash talk between them is like... Weird. It's very weird. Like, neither of them are very good at it. And I, I know Dominic Cruz really wants to be because he really... And I can appreciate that. He wants to put eyes on the division. And just for a little background too, we're just getting ready to watch the uh, Mickey Gall Sage North Cut fight. They just uh, announced the fighters and they're slapping hands right now and going at it while we're talking about this. But, yeah, it's like I can appreciate that Dominic Cruz wants to put eyes on the division, but his his trash talk is very awkward and Cody Garbrandt's kind of is too. He's like, I'm going to knock you out and if you drag me into deep waters, you'll find out I can swim. It's yeah. like, all right, guys, settle down. So, uh, Mickey Gall dove in for a takedown right away, and Sage hit him with a big knee. Oh wow! Uh, but uh, Mickey got him down. <coughs> Sage surprisingly going for a rubber guard here. A lot of people say that Mickey Gall has a grappling advantage, but um, to my knowledge, Sage Northcutt is a purple belt in jujitsu, and Mickey Gall's a brown belt. So. It's not like he'll have the overwhelming advantage that he had over a white belt CM Punk. 
His name is Phil Brooks, Bill. Well, but I mean, he's, he fights under the name CM Punk. I don't know who the fuck CM Punk is. Alright, Phil but Brooks. that man is named Phil Brooks. Um, but, dude, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't think Mickey Gall's got it for this one. Uh, I don't think he's really proven anything. Yeah, I mean, he's beaten a guy in CM Punk who it was his debut. He's a white belt in jiu-jitsu with, with no other combat experience. And then his other victory was over a guy named Mike Jackson. Who had no wins as a professional. No wins. He even had a loss. Like... This guy had even that guy had even less business in the UFC than CM Punk. Yeah, because he was zero and one when he was given that fight. So clearly they were feeding Mickey Gall somebody that they knew that he could dominate, and he's kind of dominating Sage Northcutt here. He's got him in an arm triangle, but he jumped over to the wrong side, but he was able to pass his guard in the process. So Mickey's got him in side control now, and Sage looks like. He really kind of struggles on the ground. It, he definitely doesn't move like you would expect a purple belt to move, but he had a nice scramble. And Mickey Gall going for a guillotine. But yeah, he might have it locked up pretty tight here. He's got the neck locked up, but Sage is over in side control now. Like, there's there's no practical way to finish this, but... <clears throat> oh, also important to mention that Mickey Gall is kind of up against the cage, so he can't really get that torque in. Yeah, there's no practical way for him to finish from this position, but we've seen Sage tap out <laughs> to a submission that, you know, from a position that wasn't really practical to tap somebody out from. And uh, it looks like, so Sage is on top now. He got out of the guillotine. It looks like Mickey's rolling for a leg, but it was kind of sloppy. Ooh. And uh, Sage drops a big hammer fist down on Mickey. And they're kind of taunting each other right now. This is like the rematch of Zach Morris and AC Slater from <laughs> Saved by the Bell. Yeah, shit, weird. But now they're both standing finally. Uh, Herb Dean stood it back up. Yeah, that was like that was a very awkward exchange where Sage was kind of standing over. Now they're kind of taunting each other. You really you wouldn't expect this from Sage Northcutt because he's such like a polite guy, but he's I think he. He definitely has, like, a, a clear striking advantage. Yeah. And Mickey Gall is just kind of, he's long and he's he's kind of lanky, but it seems like he's very uncomfortable throwing his hands, and he dives for a single leg on Sage again and gets him down but into full guard. So, uh, kind of, I don't know, kind of a weird match right now, and I don't know where either one of these guys would stand coming out of this. Like, what does this fight really do for Sage Northcutt especially? I feel like he has significantly more to lose. What yeah. do you think? Yeah, I agree, man. And, like, he doesn't gain much. I mean, Mickey Gall's only 3-0. and Yeah, and, and he, he has zero credible wins. Very true. Uh, I, think, I think beating CM Punk is more impressive than beating... Oh... Sage Northcutt trying to go for an armbar here, but he messed up, so now Mickey Gall's on top. Well, he was rolling for an omoplata there, but Mickey Gall was able to just kind of roll him over. We'll see a second round between these two. Yeah, so I think the CM Punk victory was more impressive than the Mike Jackson victory, only because 
you know, we didn't know what CM Punk was bringing to the table. You knew that Mike Jackson was not bringing anything to the table because he came in 0-1 as a professional. Why was this guy in the UFC? And that's probably why they need, uh, you know, some type of fighters association or something of the sort. We know they can't do a union because they're independent contractors. They're not employees of the UFC. They legally cannot form a union. But, like, clear, why is a guy like Mike Jackson getting a fight in the UFC to be a feeder fish for a guy who uh, appeared on their YouTube show, Dana White looking for a fight? Like, that's, uh, let's call a spade a spade here. That's clearly what that was. Yeah. He was just a feeder fish for Mickey Gall to build up the fight with CM Punk. Yeah. So, here we go for round two. Hopefully, it's a little more interesting than the first round. Yeah. The first round was interesting, but not... For the fight. Yeah, not for the fight. Just, like, the the way these two exchange. I mean, you have a very clear striker versus grappler here. Oh! Oh, Mickey got rocked. Yeah, Sage Northcutt. He's, like, a third-degree Taekwondo black belt. And... Yeah, and he was taunting Mickey because Mickey's like laying on his back and he's like, come on, get up. So, that's kind of... And he always rocked him again. Yeah, Sage Northcutt's kind of dancing around him. He's got awesome footwork. Yeah, very nice footwork. I love the way he kind of darts in and out. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's like super high level. And he seems like he's kind of toying with Mickey now. And he's got that... Oh! But Mickey clocked him with a big right hand. And now he's got his back. He's get he almost has now he's got a body triangle on him. Alright, now we gotta fight. <laughs> yeah. So Sage was having a little bit too much fun. I was just saying how I like how he darts in and out and he darted in but forgot the out part and got clocked with a big right hand. Oh yeah. Mickey Gall just kinda swung for the fences there. And it looks like Sage <coughs> is uh or no, Mickey's bleeding, actually. Mickey's yeah. uh, right eye, he's got a huge cut over it. Oh, but it looks like he has an RNC. Oh! oh. And Sage taps to the oh. rear naked chart. Yeah. Sage yeah. tapped? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. After Mickey Gall, Did he's Sage leaking. Record yeah. Yeah, he's 8 and 2 now. Yeah, so Sage Northcutt tapping out to Mickey Gall, and. It's like we were saying, he had everything to lose in taking this fight. I mean, credit to him. Oh, it was actually a counter-strike that dropped Sage. And Sage was definitely rocked because he was diving in for a sloppy takedown. So Sage threw a big left hook and Mickey threw a counter. And the, the counter just landed harder because Sage was looking at the ground. And Mickey Gall just kind of snatched up his back quick and he didn't even really have this choke under the chin he was just cr kind of crushing his jaw and sage tapped tap quick he didn't even really try to defend you could tell too because uh the body triangle which is basically when you have your leg wrapped around your opponent and your knee is over your own ankle and you could tell by the angle of it that he was he was kind of crushing uh, Sage Northcutt's diaphragm, and that's like, that can be just as painful as the choke sometimes. If somebody gets you in it the right way, 
and you just and you twist in the wrong direction, that can really be like it just it fucking sucks. I'll take your word for it because I have a huge gut. <laughs> I'm not getting caught in a body triangle anytime soon. Yeah, I've got. I mean, I've I've been in it before where guys have had the body triangle and like if you twist a certain way. You almost feel like tapping before they even get the choke in. Mm. But, um, so Sage Northcutt came flaming out of the barrel. Somewhat pun intended with flaming because of his... Awesome hair. Yeah, his Goku hair hairdo. It looks like uh, he's got flames on top of his head. But he came, you know, he had a lot of hype around him because he's like, you know, he's a good looking kid. He's well spoken. He's built like a fucking truck. Yeah. And he's got some flashy striking and, like, the cool flips after he wins the fight. But he's definitely showing a, a clear hole in his game. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, his ground skills leave much to be desired. Mm-hmm. Um, I, don't know, I don't know if he's a purple belt in actuality, but it did not look like he was a purple belt on the floor today. Yeah, and who knows if it's because Mickey's, Mickey's skills are that much better than Sage's that he just, you know there could be a big difference between a brown belt and a purple belt, but I mean, Sage didn't even attempt to to defend that choke, really Yeah, um so what do you think now, Bill? Because we've been talking about how Mickey Gall hasn't beat a legit fighter yet, but he got a big win, man This is a, this is a huge win for Mickey Gall so I'm interested to see who he's going to call out now, so we'll take a listen and who's next? Uh, I hear, I hear, first thing is, I, th- I think I'm going to drop down 155. I'm only young in a two for 170. I think I go down there, I'm a champion in a couple years. I, I'd like to welcome back Dan Hardy. He's coming back. He says he wants to come back for a marquee fight. I think I'm a marquee fight right now. I'd be honored to fight him. He's a legend. I'm a big fan. I'd love to fight Dan Hardy. There you have it. There you have it, folks. Jersey baby, what's up? Ocean Billy, stress squad. Jersey baby, what's up? What did he say? No, no, no. He said something about a squad. So, I I, I'm probably gonna edit out some of what we were just listening to, but I just turned up the volume to hear Mickey Gall's post-fight interview with Brian Stan, and he was uh, crediting Gracie Jiu-Jitsu to his victory, which is cool, and he's shouting out Jersey, and he called out. He's, first, he said that he wanted to drop down to 155 because he feels like he's too small. I mean, he's, he's got to be six foot tall, plus. Yeah, he's he, he looks like he fits in at welterweight. Yeah, I I mean, I kind of like him at welterweight. He doesn't look depleted or anything. I feel like 155 would be a stretch, but, I mean, he's training over there with Jim Miller, so I guess he would know if Mickey was able to do it or not. So he said that, but then he said... That if Dan Hardy comes back, he wants to fight the outlaw Dan Hardy, which I hadn't heard that Dan Hardy was making a comeback. Did you hear anything about that, Jeff? No. Um, Dan Hardy's doing an awesome job of, um, you know, announcing and uh, being a little bit more of an analyst. I yeah. think he's doing an awesome job at it, too. Um, if you ever watch um, Inside the Octagon with him, man, sure. I forget the other guy's name. Yeah, so the, I like when he does the commentary for the overseas fights with John Gooden. So him and Gooden are a good combo, but 
when he does with like John Anik, I feel like they just don't have the chemistry. So I I like Dan Hardy as an analyst, but he needs like the right partner. In any case, what do you think? I I mean, Mickey Gall said that Dan Hardy said he only wants to come back for a marquee fight, and Mickey Gall thinks he's a marquee fight. Do you agree that he's a marquee fight? And whether or not you think he is, what do you think about the fight between him and Dan Hardy? I think Dan Hardy is a different animal, man. Dan Hardy is half insane, and the other half is just plain crazy. So um, I think he's... If Dan Hardy is coming back, I don't think Mickey Gall wants the sauce, dude. Um, I, think, <laughs> I think that's a very poor choice of words to call out Dan Hardy. I, and and uh, to answer your second question, I don't think that Mickey Gall is a marquee fight for him. Yeah, I... Oh, man. I don't... Was Dan Hardy ever really a marquee fighter? He fought GSP, right? I don't I believe so, yeah. I, but I, I barely remember that fight. I mean, he was... He had his gimmick with, like, the big mohawk and everything. Uh, man, it's kind of weird to think that he would say he would demand a marquee fight to come back for when he's been out of the game probably for three years. Yeah, something like that. Something like that. And, all right, so second question, how do you see the fight going down between Mickey Gall and Dan Hardy? Uh, Dan Hardy is awesome on his feet. I, I feel like Dan Hardy, I think he gets it. He's got a lot of power. I mean, we saw Sage had Mickey rocked a couple of times in that fight, and Dan Hardy definitely has great submission defense. Yes. And he has great takedown defense, which, you know, Sage hasn't mastered. CM Punk obviously hasn't mastered. And Mike Jackson, I, I don't know if he's even... Trained as a fighter. <laughs> like, <laughs> not to shit on the guy, but, like, I kind of want to shit on the guy because, again, 0-1 and he got a fight in the UFC. Like, I don't know what's going on there. But, yeah, I agree with you. I think Dan Hardy would be too much for Mickey Gall. But uh, Mickey Gall keeps calling people out and keeps, you know, lining them up for himself and knocking them down. So, at what point do you does do people have to start believing his hype that he's creating for himself? You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I think he made a statement tonight. Sage Northcutt is a tough dude indeed, so to beat him that way, and it's not like he just tapped him. I mean, he knocked him down at one point. Yeah? Um, oh, yeah, he rocked him, for sure. Yeah, and that was what really led up to the submission. So... You know, Mickey Gall, he's got a bright future. Yeah. I wouldn't say that it was, you know, precision striking right. that laid out Sage. I mean, he just kind of... Sage had his head down and Mickey kind of swung wild. So it's not like you can really credit the boxing of Mickey Gall. You can tell he wanted this fight on the ground. Yeah. And he didn't really want it to go anywhere else. We're just waiting for the... Main event between Paige Van Zant and the karate hottie Michelle Watterson. What are your thoughts on this fight, Jeff? I'd rather watch them make out than fight. But super excited for this fight. Both of them very good strikers. Uh, both of them have, sh- at least Michelle Watterson has shown some ground skills. 
Um, she's been out of the fight game for a while. Yeah. About a year and a half. So it's gonna be it's gonna be fun to watch, man. They're both really good fighters. I enjoy watching the both of them. I'm excited. Yeah, I feel like the layoff is gonna be big for Michelle Waterson. Her last fight was a submission victory over Angela Magana. Yep. I believe. Yep, uh, and that, that was a long time ago. So I don't know what she's been doing. If she had an injury or if she had another kid. I I haven't really been like it kind of this fight kind of came out of nowhere for me. Yeah. You know, Paige has been relevant obviously, but um Michelle Waterson I feel like is a fighter that hasn't been talked about in a long time and people a, a lot of people are very recent fans, you know, in the last a lot of UFC fans in the last year, year and a half have come on board because of, you know, Conor McGregor and like things like that. So they they definitely wouldn't know who Michelle Waterson is. So the the casual fan thinks that this is a fight between Paige Van Zant and some girl that they got to fight her. But you know, fans like you and I realize that Michelle Waterson is a legit martial artist. So how do you see this fight playing out? This is going to be interesting because Michelle Waterson, I believe, was the atomweight champion at Invicta, which is 105, I want to say. Atomweight is 105, yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, for those of you who may or may not know, Michelle Waterson is the real deal. She's been a champion before. She, she had a, quite a few successful title defenses as well. So you can't count her out. And I really feel like Michelle Waterson has a little bit more fight experience. Uh -huh. She's been in deeper waters. She's fought under pressure. I feel like Michelle Waterson can pull this one out. Really? So you see her? That would be an upset, I would think. I, I would think Paige has to be the favorite, especially coming off that spectacular switch flying kick KO of Beck Rawlings a couple of months ago and fighting in Sacramento the home base of Team Alpha Male. Team Alpha Fail. <laughs> Is that why you're you're going against Paige here? No, I love Paige. Oh, okay. But you think you think Michelle's gonna pull up the upset. She also has, I think, one of the most fun nicknames, the karate hottie. Very fitting. She does do karate and she's very attractive. Yeah, that's a very delicate way to put it. Yeah. Um but I just feel like the karate hottie has more miles on the fight brain. Okay, so what are the keys to victory for the Karate Hottie? And if, I know you don't think Paige is going to do it, but if she were to take this fight, what are her keys to victory here? Well, the Karate Hottie is really good at using distance. Uh, she's a freestyle Taekwondo champion. So if she can control the distance and, you know, really control it if it goes to the ground, which I feel she'd be able to, I feel like she can really pull out the win here. And can you page, uh, wait? I just want to pause you there for a second. Can you explain what a what freestyle taekwondo is? I know what taekwondo is. I don't know how it changes to freestyle. Okay, but she's a taekwondo champion. Yes. So she's had competition in taekwondo, which is a striking martial art. Right. So in taekwondo, you see people usually go in and out a lot. You know, they'll because it's a point scoring. Uh, sport. So you want to get in, punch someone in the chest, and then move out so they can't touch you and get a point. Right. Um, so I feel like that aspect really helps uh, Michelle Waterson 
in terms of controlling the distance. Uh-huh. She can get in and out quick. She's pretty solid on the ground. Uh, like you said, she beat Maganya with a submission. And as for Paige Van Zandt, uh, I feel like she she does a good job of putting pressure on people. Um, uh-huh. She also has, I don't know if it's from Dancing with the Stars, but she has some really creative striking techniques. <laughs> yeah. They actually had a dance-off at the weigh-ins. Did you see that? <clears throat> no. Not a dance-off, but like... Paige came up to her, like, doing the running man, and then Michelle started dancing, and then Paige danced, and then they they went back and forth a couple of times. It looked like... And then they hugged each other. They didn't make out, but... Sadly. Yeah. They they had, a, like, a pretty cozy embrace. I'd rather see them punch each other in the face, honestly, than, uh, than dance <laughs> with each other. Yeah. And, um, if, I, if I'm remembering the fight... Correctly, Paige Van Zandt was losing that fight against Beck Rawlings when she landed that big kick. And I think, for me, the thing that really proved Paige Van Zandt's toughness was her fight against Rose Namajunas, where she got her ass kicked all around that octagon for I don't know how many rounds and survived until, like, the very last minute. And she was a bloody mess, and it's like... they. I think a lot of people looked at her differently after that because it's like, here's this, you know, super pretty girl who does not look like she should be a fighter. She'd look definitely more fitting for Dancing with the Stars and, and that whole environment. And she could definitely be, you know, an actress or some other kind of celebrity, I'm sure. But when you saw her come out of that fight, like, all bloody and, and beat up and still wouldn't give up... I feel like everybody kind of saw her in a different light after that. What do you think? Yeah, definitely. She proved a different type of strength. Um, And like you said, yeah, she doesn't look like she should be a fighter just because of how pretty she is. But Paige Van Zandt brought it to her. And, I mean, Rose Namajunas brought it to Paige Van Zandt. Mm -hmm. And uh, the fact that Paige Van Zandt was still able to stand and keep trying uh, speaks volumes, man. She's a tough chick. For yeah. sure. She got that fighter in her. Extremely tough. Yeah, dude, Rosemont Munis is a scary female. Yeah. So it looks like... It looks like Paige Van Zandt does, like... American Ninja Warrior or something. Yeah, some kind of gymnastics training or something. That switch... That flying switch kick that she landed on Beck Rawlings was just beautiful. And you usually don't see... I feel like you don't see a lot of highlight real knockouts with the women as much. I mean, barring, you know, the knockout of Ronda Rousey and, you know, any fight with, um blanking, uh, Cyborg. Oh, right. Christian Cyborg Santos. Which, by the way, I wanted to touch on that subject with you. Were you following last week when they announced, first of all, that they're creating... A um, 145 pound women's division. Yeah, featherweight was the, the word I was looking for, but uh, 145 pound division. And supposedly they offered the title fight to Cyborg twice, and she turned it down twice. I don't believe that. I refuse <clears throat> to believe that. Well, I, I think she's. She admitted to turning those fights down, saying that she couldn't make weight in time. Mm. So. 
there's been a lot of controversy surrounding Cyborg because they're trying, they tried to, I feel like they really tried to make a star out of her. She headlined a fight night. I had 140 pounds and she says that she felt like she almost died trying to make 140. So there's no way she comes down to a super fight at 135 with Ronda. Now I've heard a couple of different versions of the story. I've heard that she was offered the fight against Holly Holm, and Holly Holm's management team agreed to it, but they wanted it at like 138 or some kind of weird catch weight. They didn't want they didn't want Holly fighting at 145. Now the first time it was only a couple of weeks' notice, so Cyborg turned down and said she can't make the weight. The second time, she had eight weeks' notice, and she still said. I can't make 145. Now, whether that's true or not, the the end of the story is they created the division and the first title shot is going to be between two 135-pound fighters. Yeah. One of which, in Holly Holm, is coming off two losses. And the other... Who's the, who is she fighting? I forget. I do too. But, um, yeah, that's weird. But uh, I think it presents an interesting opportunity for Holly Holm because she could be the first ever woman to win the 145-pound championship in the UFC and the first ever female to be a champion in two separate weight classes. So that would be really cool for that's, her. Yeah, that, that's huge. Um, I mean, in fairness... You know, there's not really an opportunity for females in the UFC anyway to win two divisions because the only two divisions that exist are so far, far apart. Yeah. But yeah. um. Yeah, it's a huge jump from the one fifteen to one thirty-five. Oh, Jerm, uh, Jermaine. Oh, the Iron Lady, I think her nickname yeah. is. Dave. Why the hell is she getting a title shot? Well. I mean, by the same token, why the hell is Holly Holm getting a title shot? Coming off of... She's lost two fights in a row at 135. Now she's moving up to a bigger weight class and immediately getting a title shot instead of who I think the consensus 145-pound champion is in Cyborg because she's the 145-pound champion of Invictus still, right? I think so. Um, honestly, I agree with you. I think Chris Cyborg deserves that title shot first. Mm-hmm. Um, she's done a lot for the sport. Um, and overall, she's been in a very exciting fighter to watch, despite whatever rumors or um, you know problems there have been. Um, Are you referring to her penis? Right. Um, <laughs> <coughs> whatever controversy there's been around her... She's a fun fighter to watch, Bill. Oh, yeah. You, you watch her. She doesn't watch you, Bill. How many, how many Invicta titles have you won, Bill? Zero. <laughs> That's true. Um, and I would have liked... So I think, one, she deserves it. The other person who deserves a title shot, Raquel Pennington. She's been on a tear lately. She just beat Misha Tate, um, who is a huge legend of the sport. You know, she deserves a title shot just as much as, if not more... Then Holly Holm and Jermaine Defoe, or whatever her name is. Uh, so you think Raquel... Oh, 
I'm confused. Are you saying Ra- Raquel Pennington should move up? To yeah, why not? Let's do it. Why not? I'd love to see her at 145. You think? Yeah, I, I, I think mean, she can make it. She's a pretty big bantamweight. She looks pretty dominant over Misha Tate. Does she have a fight scheduled? I don't know. Um, but yeah, that chick's name, the other one fighting, is not Jermaine Defoe. Jermaine Defoe is a professional soccer player. No, it's Jermaine. Fuck, Dave Ramadin. I don't know. I can't. Point is, nobody cares. <laughs> is that the point? Yeah, like I don't want to pay to see that shit. You know what I do want to pay to see more barley mold beer in the world. I agree. They got some good stuff on tap over there, man. Yeah, and right here, in our hands, we're drinking their uh, Quackalope IPA, which is. It's not really their flagship beer, but it's the beer they're most known for. So it wasn't like the first beer they came out with. And this is the perfect beer for this area because it says right on the can that it pairs well with blackened seafood, which is kind of like the food of the area, especially grouper. Have you ever had grouper, Jeff? Is that a type of fish? Yeah, grouper is a kind of a bottom-dweller uh, fish that's really uh, populated in the Tampa Bay area. So, you know, right outside the window from where we're sitting here, there's probably tons of groupers swimming around. And uh, I actually was unsuccessfully fishing for grouper yesterday out in the ocean. I didn't catch any, but like that's the big thing in all the restaurants here is grouper. And the way you have to get it is blackened. And it's really a delicious light fish but that's what they suggest pairing the quackalope with and they also suggest thai cuisine and hunting i don't know have you ever gone hunting Jeff? uh for anything other than bitches no <laughs> by bitches of course he means female dogs yeah and um, of course you weren't killing them you were just looking to snuggle them yeah like i did with bijou this morning yeah which, that's another positive point about Barley Mo is they are dog-friendly brewery. Uh, dogs are allowed inside and outside. So, Bijou loves going to Barley Mo because she gets uh, so much around. attention from the patrons and yeah. employees. Yeah, she was walking around having a good time while we were playing cornhole. Yeah, they're big on cornhole there. It's a, it's a pretty fun game, but... I'm really big on this Quackalope. This is like, uh, it's kind of been my go-to. It's It's got like real hoppiness, like kind of a slight bitterness yeah. on the end, but it's not It's not too bitter to the point where it, like it's unpleasant. It's just like a nice, crisp IPA. And uh, we're watching, we're watching Bruce, Bruce, uh, Bruce. <laughs> Like uh, Bruce Caboose Buffer. No, we're watching Bruce Buffer introduce Michelle Waterson right now, and yeah, she's only five foot three. Oh, she's actually this fight is a pick'em, so there is no favorite. I would have thought Paige Van Zandt would be the favorite going into this. That's interesting. Not because I don't think Michelle Waterson has a chance, but just. Based on how Vegas odds usually go for MMA, it's kind of a surprise to see this fight even. Because usually the bigger star is the favorite. So they're both a minus 115 
which makes this fight a pick em. I'm not... And also, if anyone is, is into gambling in MMA, please reach out to me because I want to become more educated on this. I'm, I realize that a pick em means, like, I think you break even. So if you bet $10, you can win $10. Well, the minus, the number, so let's say it's minus 115, right? Mm-hmm. You have to spend $115 on that fighter in order to make just $100. And that's, oh. Yeah, it's kind of how they rationalize it. Okay. Is your base is 100 So if you're, like, say, plus 115 if you bet $100, you're probably going to win about 115 if your fighter wins. And it doesn't matter what the other fighter is. So... It doesn't right. matter that they're both minus one fifteen. Right, you would have to spend one fifteen on either one, just to make a hundred dollars. Got it. Okay. <clears throat> All right. So, um, Paige Van Zandt coming out with some pretty wild footwork. She's got a very wide stance. She's got two ankle sleeves on. I noticed that too. Yeah. Which usually you wouldn't do if you're going against a grappler because. It makes it easier to sink in leg locks if you have ankle sleeves on because it gives a little bit more grip if you're going for, say, a heel hook. Right. It gives you something to kind of grip onto. So, obviously, she's not worried about the ground game of Michelle Waterson. Even though she's got a couple of submissions under her belt, she is more of a stand-up fighter, right? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, Paige Van Sant's moving around really well. Just, she looks like she's got that Muhammad Ali strut going on. <laughs> uh, this is an interesting Paige Van Zandt we're seeing here. Yeah. And Michelle Waterson just kind of, like, stalking, not really moving too much. Like, it looks like very calculated movement. She's got that, that sideways karate stance. She's throwing a lot of side kicks to Paige's body. She's definitely a much more precise striker. Paige is kind of wildly throwing at her, and and uh, Michelle is kind of countering with with more precision striking. And Paige looked like she was going for a judo toss there, and they just kind of got into a scramble. And now Waterston's holding her up against the cage. You can definitely see the size difference here. I feel like Paige looks a lot bigger than Waterston. So I'm glad you brought up the point that she used to fight you know, 10 pounds lighter than this. Ooh, nice judo throw from Yeah, Watterson. Watterson just grabbed her by the neck and chucked her to the ground, and now she's immediately on her back with a body triangle. Wow. That is some pretty slick ground moves I know. We've from been Michelle Watterson. Yeah, we've been talking about how good her stand-up is, but man, that was hot. Like, yeah. the takedown, and then Paige rolled to try and get on top. And uh, Watterson was just able to jump on her back like a spider. It was crazy. Yeah. And Paige rolled to one side, which is the defense against the body triangle. And Shell Watterson immediately switched it to the other She's side. She's grabbing the fence! <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and Paige Van Zandt is grabbing the fence with her toes. It looks like Watterson has a choke sunk oh, in deep. She's got it deep, dude. Paige but Van Sant's doing a good job of defending, though. She's defending it a lot more than Sage Northcutt did. Fighting the hands of Watterson, and she broke the grip once, but she's got, oh, man, she's got that choke deep Ooh. under the chin. I think it's done. Now yeah, she's, we, she's, she's hugging her own bicep. I think she's got it. Paige, yeah, she's got it. 
She's got it locked in Page pretty is turning tight. Red. Her face is very red. She's still kind of reaching back. It looks like she's fading. She might go to sleep here instead of tapping. I know. It's over. Yeah. She went. She went to sleep. Yeah. I think it was only for like a split second, but. She out. Yeah, she choked her out. Yeah, she only went out for a sec, but I think it looked like it was enough for John McCarthy to call it. Wow. So Michelle Watterson put on a clinic, outstruck her, defended a takedown attempt. Landed a very nice takedown. Grabbed her by her neck and tossed her to the ground. Smooth transition to the back. Man. Michelle Watterson. She's the real deal, looking dude. really impressive here. What would you think? I might be jumping to conclusions here, but... I, I mean, this division has pretty much been cleaned out by the champion, Yuani and Jacek. What would you think about a showdown between these two after this performance? Hmm... I think it's a little too soon for that, but I'd like to see uh, Michelle Watterson take on uh, Kavokovic, uh, I believe her name is. Carolina Kavokovic. Yeah, um, because we, we've we talked about how <coughs> how much trouble Kavokovic gave to... Joanna um, and Jacek. Right, so I'd like to see how Michelle Watterson fares against her first, and if she gets a convincing win, give her Joanna. Does Kavokovic have... A fight lined up against Claudia Gedalia? I feel like I've heard that somewhere. Mm. Which, if if Claudia Gedalia wins, you can't really give her a third shot against Ioana. So you're kind of you're kind of stuck in this dilemma here, and it's kind of ironic that right after they cut away from this fight to a commercial, it's a commercial starring Paige Van Zandt. Yeah, I think uh, that. Despite what Vegas odds believed was a pick'em, I think the UFC kind of had uh, their winner picked out already. Yeah, and it's it's kind of strange how they they're pushing Paige so much because she's got like that that superstar quality, but I mean she was dominated pretty well in her fight against Rosnami Yunus. Definitely. And, uh, you know, she was losing the fight against Beck Rawlings as well and came back with a highlight reel knockout, but uh, I don't know, to, to headline a fight, I understand she's in, like, her town where she trains Team Alpha Male, but I feel like they kind of try and, they try and force things sometimes, and I, I feel like this... You know, Paige might be a casualty of that. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with you on that. Paige is good, but we've seen some holes in her game. Mm-hmm. And like you said, against Beck Rawlings, yeah, she was losing. But also, I feel like that loss to Beck Rawlings, I mean, the loss for Beck Rawlings, is a testament to some mistakes that she made herself. Because that high switch kick... Van Zant went for it more than once in that fight. Yeah. I remember seeing it at least one other time. So the fact that Beck Rawlings wasn't prepared for it means that she cannot adapt to a fight situation as it happens in front of her. Um, so her corner should have really been on top of that and noticing stuff Fair like point. that. All right. Um, I think we can wrap it up here and crack open another quackalope and uh, listen to Michelle Watterson's post-fight speech here. Any uh, closing thoughts, Jeff? 
uh, I think we've had a fun time doing this. Uh, I think we should do this again sometime. Yeah, we'll do another live brawl crawl in the future. And uh... howdy, howdy, howdy. <laughs> Well, let us know what you think about this on social media. If you want to get in touch with Jeff, it's at animal underscore Wilson on Twitter. And if you want to send me a note, as always, it's at MMA on the Rocks, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or go to MMA on the Rocks. Dot com. Can you I can get a send, shout out too? Or you can follow at Clotterella on Twitter and Instagram if you want to follow our creative director of the show here. And I think that's all we got for now. Tomorrow we might be doing an on-site podcast from Barley Mow Brewery in Largo, Florida. So keep an ear out for that. Let us know what you're thinking and drinking on social media. Cheers, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye.